0: that does not get ministered to in this time. Lord, I pray that You would breach every language barrier. I pray, God, that You would breach every cultural barrier. That, God, You would today grab a hold of our hearts and rip them open and place Yourself promptly and firmly inside. And as You do, Lord, have Your way. Minister, Lord, strengthen what is weak. Encourage what is right. Challenge what is complacent. Rebuke what is wrong. Lord, save the lost. Strengthen the weak. Lord, equip the saints. Do Your work in this time. Lord, I pray for that fresh anointing of Your Holy Spirit. That today, God, You would profoundly minister to us. And that You would do through me what I cannot humanly do. That You would speak to each one of us individually today. That every one of us will be personally Spoken to minister to that we would all personally encounter you in this time so please have your way now i pray i commit this time lord redeem every second i pray in jesus name amen i would say today as i would any please don't just believe me don't just assume it's true because i say so search the scriptures let the bible always have the final say so here's where we're at We left in chapter 12. In chapter 12 of Exodus, after 430 years of being in Egypt, God has delivered us out of Egypt, out of the hand of the enemy, out of the land of slavery. Now, there is a problem. 430 years of Egypt is an awful lot of Egypt in a group of people. It's all we've known. It's all our grandfathers have known. It's all our grandfathers' fathers have really known. This is it for us. All we've known is Egypt. But understand, deliverance is never removal. They're different. If, for instance, I was given something, and all of a sudden I was told by Daniele, Daniele says, hey, deliver this. Beautiful, pasta. deliver it. Benissimo. Uh, and if I were to say, okay, and I just grabbed it and I left with it, there's still kind of a really important part missing. And that is, Dove. Where? To where? And understand, that's the problem when we talk about being a Christian, because listen, God has been delivered. Well, you've been delivered. I've been delivered from drugs, I've been delivered from being a mad and a nasty person, but, but wait a minute, where did you go? Because if it was only that you've been removed from it, understand, God is a warning about that. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus speaks even about a spirit driven from a human being. And when he says, if that spirit comes back and sees that house or that person, and the house is swept clean, and it's in order, listen, it's in order. He'll get seven worse than himself. And he says, I warn you, that house will be worse than it was before. See, it's not about just getting the house in order. It's about getting a new tenant It's about getting a new landlord. There's the difference. You see, the moment I gave my life to Christ, it wasn't that I was like a horrible, rotten person like the rest of us. And God just said, well, let's just make you nice now. Poof, wala, wama, poof, you're nice. Bon. Tu bon. I go, nice, great. But the problem is, in the end of it all, Christ did more than that. Jesus didn't die to make us nice people died to be with us jesus didn't die on the cross just so that you could actually become more moderate in your voting so you wouldn't go get drunk all the time so you wouldn't sleep around jesus died for you because he'd rather die than live without you because your guilt separated him someone had to pay for it jesus made that choice to pay for it but understand deliverance is never removal Removal's the first part. I can't deliver anything that I don't first remove, unless I'm delivering it to the same spot. And that's not deliverance. That's just keeping it there. Israel is in the process of being delivered. You're in the process of being delivered, except for spiritually. If you've accepted... Now, let let me make it really clear again. We all start out sinners. The playing field is level. Nobody has an advantage. Whether you started shooting up drugs at eight, huffing blue by nine, kicking puppies, robbing nuns by eleven, you are a bad dude. Or whether you were born in a house with stained glass, Billy Graham's your uncle, you actually, your first words were actually a hymn. In the end of it all, we're all sinners. And one broken law makes you a lawbreaker. Now, I'm not telling you you might as well do a lot then. That's just more regret to put on the table. But Jesus, knowing your guilt and my guilt, died on the cross so that all of our guilt could be paid for. And then rose again to offer us a new life. Now, if we live our Christianity or preach our Christianity the way we live it often and then try to put it to Jesus, it would be like Jesus died on the cross and that was the end of the story. So, you know, I used to do all these things and now I don't anymore. And you could see people who don't know Jesus going, wow, congratulations, you're not that kind of jerk, you're a different kind of jerk now. But where's the fun? Okay, Because to them, the best they know is getting drunk and sleeping around and running from relationship to relationship. I mean, that's the best they know. What you said is, I met Jesus and now I don't do anything fun according to your world. But God is not a God of nots. He's a God of instead ofs. And we were delivered from the power of darkness into the son that he loves. Understand, deliverance was to Jesus. You're not delivered until you're delivered to Jesus. So don't tell me how I'm delivered from, I'm going to a deliverance service or somebody's going to go, Whack! Now you're delivered. I'm like, delivered from not having a headache is what I just got delivered from. But it's like, look, at what I need is to be brought to Jesus. And whatever the problem is, for me it would be violence. So, I'm sorry. Whatever it is, we take it to Jesus because it isn't just, I I, I don't want to be a jerk anymore. It's like, I want to be more like Christ. If not, we're still standing at the table trying to get Jesus just to serve us. And we're calling him Lord, but he's not to us. Now here we are, God is, now please, please understand, God removes and then he instructs. Did you get that? He removed us in chapter 12. Here we are in chapter 23. In between that time, the Lord has brought us into the wilderness. And you'd say, that seems, and we're so drama queen when it comes to stuff like this. Everybody, you know, I've given my life to Christ and now I'm gutted. I'm in the wilderness. Why? Because I got up late today. That's your wilderness, right? Oh, you know, uh, it's, it's, been a rough, it's been a rough day. I'm in the wilderness. You know, I don't know. I, I read the Bible and I don't understand everything that's in it. If you understood everything in the Bible, your brain would explode out of your head. I'm in the wilderness. Now, can I just say here's a kind thing about the wilderness it's a place where things are really simple. It wasn't like when Moses spoke to two million people that anybody, anybody was texting. It wasn't like Moses was checking to see if anyone was going, excuse me, brother. spell check, Ah oh, man, you know, the wilderness was a place of great simplicity so that, listen, God has this habit, it's like, look it, you were in a place of bondage and God's this Come with me. Allez, si vous plaît. And then there you are, and he's like, Now, can we just have a time, you and me? And then all of a sudden, to be honest, when it's just you and him, it really doesn't matter where you are. Detroit? Doesn't matter. Luxembourg? Doesn't matter. Wherever it is. Because when he's there, it's good. And he makes the world simple around you. And you're like, but I'm not like working 60 hours anymore. And I don't have that relationship by hand. And God's like, yeah, I'm simplifying to do that. So he pulled us out of this bondage. He put us in this place that was simpler. And then he started showing us piece by piece who he really is now in our life. More than just Savior, our provider. Now he starts saying, look, I can take care of you. I can quench that thirst. I can solve that hunger. I can protect you and deliver you from even the greatest of fears to a place of peace. Remember, I would say deliver to. And then he goes, now that we're kind of getting that solved, can I start talking to you a little bit about some laws I'd like to set up? And you go, well, why would... Oh, see, I just knew it. I just knew it. If I did join the church, it's just going to be all rule, 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 rule. Can I just lay out why God wants to do this? Um, Lorna, you, you run a PowerPoint? Would you flash up that holy thing? Look at I just I want to start by this, okay? And then we're going to get right into our text. I genuinely believe the reason why not that—that's for later. Um, There we go. If you get if you're kind of a note taker, would you write this down for your sake and for mine? Oh, you can't see because of this, huh? Don't worry, this thing isn't heavy or anything. Solid lead. All right, don't worry, I'm fine. Good, yeah. Right. All right. Now look at, when God lays out laws, and as we're going to get into these beautiful laws, and there's going to be, by the way, hundreds of them, from which some of them we've already looked at. Can I just say that God lays them out for at least five basic reasons, and I laid them out there just because. And understand. I didn't come up with this originally because what I really wanted was, oh, this is going to preach at church because I wanted to understand, Lord, why tell me I'm not cook a goat in its mother's milk? Why not shellfish? Our youngest is out with her mother on a date a couple days ago and she has, she's eating mussels and she looks at her mother and goes, oh, the Jews are really missing out. Anyways... Um, can I just say that of those laws, there are going to be at least one, if not more, of these with each thing. First of all, it is is that the, the law is going to lead us to Christ. It's going to bring me to Jesus, either by prophecy or by showing me my weakness, for which then, as the law is the tutor to lead me to Christ, then I'm going to cry out for a Savior because I'm not so proud anymore when I look at the law. It's easy for me to look at someone else, especially if I invent you to be more evil than you are, and say, Well, I'm a pretty good person. Let me check out that person and that person and I bet that person probably and I bet sure you in her quiet time and you know and then but but in the end of it all, when I open up the word I realize I need a savior. But not only that, to be honest, it was for their health. Now some of those things, by the way, God will, through the by his grace, show us how to bet things like for instance, you should really cook your pork. Now, that wasn't always the case back in those days. Whatever food you ate, you ate sometimes pretty close to raw. Now, pork tartar isn't exactly a really good idea. Your arms and legs start swelling up like gas balloons. And so God, one of the reasons he'll do it is for your health. And we've talked about that, how even during the bubonic plague, the black plague, here, the only people that weren't dying were the Jewish people because they had a law that when you touched a dead body, you had to wash. Now, for some of us, that might still be revolutionary, but for most of us, we're, the Americans in this room, we're totally neurotic. I mean, some that we know in here probably bathe in antibacterial hand stuff after being on a bus. But God does it for the health. Another reason, by the way, is simply to show you, to give you an opportunity to show your obedience. Because what He really wants, sometimes you're like, God, I don't understand this, but I don't have to understand this to do it. Now, if you're a parent, you understand that. To some degree, because you tell your children, and I don't know if you have children like ours, but why is almost always the question when you lay down on the law on something. And by the time you get to Leviticus, I love how God plays it, because God says, do this, I'm the Lord. Do this, I'm the Lord. Because you just know someone's going to go, why should I? Because I'm the Lord, that's why. Do this, why? Because I'm the Lord. You know, because I'm your parent. I brought you into the world, I'll take you out. No. <laughs> Then there's the idea of the last two. And by the last two, by the way, please hear me because all of these still apply in that sense. One of them, by the way, is that they've lived for 430 years in Egypt and God wants you to leave the world you came from. Now look it. Before you knew Christ, can I just say you were a selfish jerk. Yeah, you say, well, that's not good for my self-esteem. Notice the word self in that, okay? Now, look at the reason I say this is because every one of us before coming to Christ were a selfish jerk. We were. We had different ways of showing it, but we were still selfish jerks. And then what happens is we give our life to Christ and we try to figure out how to be a Christian selfish jerk. Not, and people are going, I don't know, those Christians don't look any different from anyone else. And, and it's like, yeah, because somehow that guy that you crucified, that Christ crucified at the cross, I'm trying to drag him into this new relationship. And he doesn't really do anything but stink there. And part of the law is, look at, I want to take you out of the world you came from. But let me warn you, in the last of them, in yearning for him alone, is I also don't, in the world I'm going to put you in, I don't want you to get sucked into that either. Because now that you have been made new, and I introduce you, I reintroduce you into the world, I don't want you actually getting sucked into the traps that are there. Does that make sense? Now understand, when that's the case, all of the scripture that we go through here is going to really apply to this, as well as to those Ten Commandments, because what he's doing is developing. One last concept, and we dig into our text. Remember, when Moses is up on the mountain, he has already ordained elders to judge the people... And so what God is doing is helping set out a law book for those judges so when they pass judgments, they pass them consistently. Otherwise, what will happen is I'll look and go, well, I'm not going to stand in that line because I know how tough of a judge he can be, but I'll stand in in Rodriguez's line because he's a nice guy. And, And in the end of it all, the judges should be judging consistently. That was the idea. So he sets up a common law. Look at it with me, chapter 23, verse 1. You shall not circulate, circulate, you shall not circulate, or circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to the poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. You shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In our first section of this, our first nine verses, God obviously clearly speaks to judges. He's speaking to people with the purpose of making sure that the judges judge fairly. And the word I might use is the word of how to be just. Notice in this, by the way, God knowing the heart of man develops a couple things. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, notice God assumes that when you judge properly, it's not going to be the common vote of the people. God already knows that built within us is a desire to be liked, a desire to fit in, a desire to not buck the system necessarily. And even those who buck the system tend to be around a bunch of other people to start their own society, Buck the Society System, or Buck the System Society. They have their own little group. It's like the Individuals Club, where everyone looks the same, but individually. And God looks and He says, Look it, I want to make sure you recognize that you should not be involved in a lie. Now remember, that was already one of the Ten Commandments. The tenth or the ninth. But in that, God makes really clear that He does not want us partaking in it, even in our judgments. So you don't circulate it. In other words, don't carry it. Don't listen to it. Now, by the way, that plays out in our world in a really big way. I have never met a media more given over to rumors than the one in Western Europe. Now, the whole world's janky. We're all aware of that, and everyone's got their issues. But oh my goodness! Here's the rumor page. Did you hear what Taylor Swift is doing these days? Oh no, and Justin Bieber. How he must have had a meltdown, and then he wore a gas mask. And you know, it's amazing how. And it's by the way, unless it brings you to prayer, and so, what happened? And that's one thing. But most, more than likely, you might not meet these people. You just spend your time. It doesn't, I won't even go there. But but what happens when it comes? To, well, did you hear about Amina? Or did you hear about Gina? Well, I heard that Rodriguez secretly a. Eh? And Deborah, oh, she seems nice, but, you know, Or well, we'll make it even easier. Juan, well, I'm just kidding. And the reason that I say that is that God makes really clear, I don't want you to be a part of it. Now, what would happen if we actually did what God called us to? Because some of the things God calls us to are absolutely insane, and because of that, they're awesome. If you're not going to listen to it, what would that be like? What That would be like, is all of a sudden, it comes to me and she goes, Pshht. "Hey, do you want to go?" Ah, la 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 la, that not freak her out. Well, twice she's not going to do it a third time, more than likely, unless she's a really slow learner. But, but let's be honest, we're at a place right now when it tells us that those things are like tasty trifles. It's like I open up a box of chocolate. You want, to, you want to hear my rumor? And you're like, ah, maybe this one, you know. And it, and that's what we kind of get with it. And God says, look it, if you're going to represent me, and that's the whole idea of a judge here, right? If you're going to represent me, have nothing to do with a lie. Don't even know it. Well, here, now, no, let me get. I'm, I'm going to go right after another jugular if I can. Hey, if I offend you, can I just say again? Judge whether the scripture offended you. Or whether I did. But don't just believe anything I say. There's a movement within, our, within the body of Christ in mass to make sure that you've learned every religion so that you know how to argue against it. But can I just say that even the treasury departments know better than that. If you were a part of the American treasury counterfeit department, they would take you and put you in a vault. So I hope you're not claustrophobic, Mary. So, and then they put you in there, and all they give you is the true bills. And you, and you would look at them, you'd smell them, you'd investigate them, you'd rub stuff on them and all that. They don't give you a single false bill. And the reason is that the more you are familiar with the genuine article, the easier it is to spot a counterfeit. By the time we're done with this chapter, God, God will tell us, I don't want you even to make mention of another God. I don't even want you to make, I don't let it even be on your lips. Could you imagine if we followed that law? Now, some of this stuff is really, if you think about it, it radically changes the way we do things. Here's one of my favorites, though, from Luke. When Jesus says, and when we sort of Luke kind of sums up, no time, sums up the, the um, Sermon on the Mount. And in a part of it he says, blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake. When they ostracize you, do you know what that means? That means when they leave you out. I mean, that's when Shirley has a party. Well, not Shirley, because Shirley loves the Lord. But let's say somebody that you, you know, somebody else, and they have a party, and they invited everyone you know except you. Now, you wouldn't have gone, or at least you tell yourself that. But you know that. You wanted them to call, so you could say no, right? And they were like, check me out. I said no, right? But when they don't call, Annie starts having a huffy fit because she's like, oh my goodness, can you put... Didn't invite me. Jesus says, "Blessed are you." And then He says, "Blessed are when they say all manner of evil against you." And then, listen to this. It says, "Jump for joy." Have you ever thought about that? Now, that's a command. Try that one out. So, just for fun, you ready? Because I'm going to really blow our culture. Stand up for a second. It's time for we're going we're to do a little role play. I'm going to persecute you. <laughs> Your challenge, yeah. See, there we go. And your challenge is to do what Christ said, which is to to jump to shout for joy. Yeah, to go woohoo. Try that one. Okay, ready? Here we go. Ready? You really believe that fairy tale about that God that created everything? Okay. Some of you are thinking, I did not come to church for this. Okay, it's exercise, look at it. It's like Zumba and the Bible and the whole bit. Anyway, okay, okay. Now, here we go. Ready, here we go. So, wait a minute, you believe like a guy built a big boat and put a bunch of animals on him? What kind of imbecile are you? Yeah. Close-minded bigot? I bet you hate gay people. Okay, now that's going to really freak him out, isn't it, okay? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You really believe that there's only one way to heaven? What kind of person are you that believes there's one way to heaven? Okay, Be seated. That, by the way, isn't it crazy? Because, what? listen, we're so busy getting worked up over that kind of stuff. What the enemy would love for us to be is the saintly sourpusses. We're like, uh, uh, uh. I've got the joy, 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 down in my soul. Where I am, down in my soul. Come to Christ. He makes you happy. He makes you complete. <sighs> really? Really? How oh, it someone actually looked at me. Okay, I kid you not. Shantae and I were once sitting on a bus. And I, and I, you know, fogged up windows. That's a billboard waiting to happen, right? We're on a double-decker bus, sitting on, the, sitting on the front. Big one. So I write, Jesus died for your sins and rose to set you free. And as I'm doing this, I kid you not, some guy is walking down the steps, because that's just right behind me. And he looks and he goes, retarded. <laughs> That was the best he had. You know what I did? I went, (laughs) woohoo! Now, here's the point of all of that. When God starts laying this stuff out, he doesn't want us part of things. And look at just because it's culturally acceptable does not mean it's supposed to be culturally acceptable here. Don't follow the crowd to do evil. So don't tell me, well, you don't understand. Everybody's doing it. And if you're a parent, you got the best verse. All my friends are doing it. Don't follow the crowd to do evil. You heard it on church. I was like, ah, oh, man, we need to switch churches. All right, no, look at this. Look at, it says, don't put, look at it says, Don't put your hand in with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Don't follow the crowd to do evil. Do not turn aside to pervert justice. And God knows what it's going to be to pervert justice. What is it? What moves us? Sometimes it's poor people. And by the way, can I just say what? It's strange because we can go either side of that. Some people will be prejudiced against them. Some people will be prejudiced for them. So da-dun-dun. Da-dun-dun. the next case will be rich man versus poor man. And some people are already going, you're already guilty. You are already guilty. And some are going, you are miserable. You are guilty. Some people will show partiality and go, well, he's poor, so God's probably not blessing him. Clearly there must be something wrong in his life. Thank you, Job's friend. And there are others that go, well, that guy's rich, so he's probably a rotten, miserable. I've, I've read Dickens. Those guys are rotten. But on the other side of it, God goes, look at you shouldn't do that. Don't show partiality to anyone. Now, if I'm not going to show partiality because someone's rich or poor, do you really think I have a right to show partiality because somebody has a beard and named Ahmed or somebody has darker skin or somebody... And it is amazing how the church in Mass at times, we we have been guilty, but please understand, I've never seen the sword be one-edged. Being a bass player, playing in certain black gospel churches in Chicago... It is amazing how many of them walk in and go, who let you in here? And I'm thinking, wow, that's really strange. But you don't understand your ancestors. You don't know my ancestors. You don't even know your ancestors. (laughs) And the reason I said that is we have no right to hate another person because of anything. And then try to. Ah, (laughs) prayer of the righteous and a fresh battery. God says, keep yourself from a false matter. Don't kill the innocent and the righteous. Because I'm not going to justify a person simply because they're wicked. I'm not going to justify the wicked. And don't take a bribe. God knows people are selfish and he also knows that they're greedy but if you're going to stand as a rep for, for Jesus Christ, we have no place. Money is to not have... Listen, money is not supposed to have any influence on us. And there are people that will say, any man can be bought, let's say, by the blood of Jesus Christ. A bride blinds the discerning, perverts the words of the righteous. Don't oppress a stranger sometimes we'll actually pass crazy judgment on people because they're not part of our group. And we can have our group. The young and hip. The old and wise. The Asian. Yes, you know, we're, we're the British church. We're the American church. We're the European church. I am so, so thankful for our fellowship. And one of the things I'm so thankful for is how Turkish Cypriots sit next to Greek Cypriots. How, you know, how people from Canada sit with people near from America, other America. How it doesn't really matter. And it's like, and people will even sit near Juan. I mean, it is so beautiful. It, it, this is on tape, isn't it? Here's the whole point, is that the Lord... Here, it isn't about any of that. Here, it's about Jesus. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about Jesus. And if that's the case, I don't want to look and go, well, oh, he's probably rich. Or, oh, that guy's Jewish. So he probably, oh, that that person's dark-skinned. So they probably... Wow, you're already passing judgment. You have no facts. It says, by the way, only a fool answers a matter before he hears it. So I just want you to know where you're putting yourself when you say that. But remember, when we look at that be holy, the first one is it should bring me to Jesus. And there's two points that I can bring out. One of it, by the way, is what God tells us here is that it is a crime to show partial judgment by grabbing a hold of a lie and by murdering the righteous. Isn't that what he says here? It's interesting because the Lord told us this in Mark 15:15. 15, 15. Pilate wanting to gratify the crowd released Barnabas to them and he delivered Jesus to be scourged. Pilate succumbed to the crowd, which is what God tells us not to do. It's interesting because when god speaks about telling the truth in matthew 26:59 it says that the chief priests the elders and the whole council sought false testimony against jesus to put him to death but they found none even though many false witnesses came forward they found none but at last two witnesses came forward and said this fellow said i am able to destroy the temple of god and build it in three days. Now listen, according to Jewish jurisprudence, that's the laws of proper judicial system. If one person commits a a false testimony, the punishment of the accused comes upon the false witness and the trial is dismissed as a mistrial. There are ten laws of Jewish Jewish jurisprudence. Every one of them was broken in Jesus' trial. It was the second most rigged trial that ever existed, where a perfectly, absolutely innocent God died the death of a very guilty criminal. What's the other one? Mine and yours. When a perfectly guilty criminal stands before a perfect God, and is given the blessing of an innocent man. With that, God testifies. Interesting, look at verse 7 as we move to the second section here, and we'll move quicker. Keep yourself from a false matter. Don't kill the innocent and the righteous. God takes that perfect step here. And in Luke twenty three forty seven, it was the centurion when Jesus died on the cross that said, certainly this man was a righteous man. In the other testimonies, we read that he says, certainly this was the Son of God. But Luke, focusing on Jesus' manhood, his humanity, wants to make sure we recognize that they were guilty of killing a righteous man because God had already told us in Exodus 23, seven, such a thing was not permissible. Now we move from how to be just to how to rest. Look at verse 10 with me. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. That's called, by the way, Shabbataret, which means the land Sabbath. But in the seventh year you shall let the rest follow. In other words, don't touch it. That the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beasts of the field, may eat. And like manner you shall do to your vineyard and to your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. That your ox and your donkey may rest. Your son and your female servant and stranger may be refreshed. Now please understand, in this, notice that God makes careful mention of why he wants the land to rest. Interesting, you know the one reason he doesn't say he wants the land to rest? Was for the land. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, let the land rest so that the land can be replenished. Though, by the way, that will be part of it, but he doesn't say that's his primary reason. This is why. His primary reason isn't, to be honest, because he loves the land. The reason is because he loves the people who live on it. And if I have a crew of 600 people that are working the field, God says, could you give them a day off? Love them a little bit to let them take a day off because they need to be refreshed too. Now, from the site of Egypt where we came from and in the land of Canaan where we're going to go before we're done with this whole thing, God willing, unless the Lord comes back and He can teach it better than I can. But in either case, slaves were just property. They weren't human beings and you worked them to death. You worked animals to death and you worked people to death. And God says, that is not how it plays in my economy. Look, at give these people a day off. Love them enough to rest. Because if you're supposed to represent me, and you're so busy working everybody else to death, exactly how are they going to think you believe that God's providing? And you're saying, why can't you give me more? Why can't you? Now, understand there are times when people are lazy and they need to be challenged. But when it's just like you're just so busy trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip, God's like, stop it. It's not worth it. Now understand, in the end of it all, when God created the Sabbath in the beginning, it wasn't because God was tired. And we read, God didn't create the Sabbath for himself. He created it for man. God created everything. He made man. And then when he was done with man, he goes, hey, you know what? I'm taking the day off tomorrow. Let's hang out. Do you get it? God didn't create man on the first day. And he said, no, write all of this down. Don't miss anything. And I'm checking your spelling and your grammar. God says, "Look at after he makes everything, he's like just like a perfect, like a perfect symphony where the big crescendos, the climax is the greatest thing. You see, this is what he made, and then this is what he made, and this is what he made. But back here, there's this thing with a curtain on it, and you just know. And here's my prize thing. Ah, Voila! You, you're his masterpiece. And God didn't say to the woodchucks or the hedgehogs." I'm so glad I made you. Let's just roll around on the floor for a while. But when he made you, he said, could could we be together now? And you know what's amazing is, please hear me on this, please hear me. God knows your and my tendency to get so busy that God has to actually, please hear me, barge his way into your diary just to spend time with you. Isn't that sad? Think about it. We call him the most important thing. He's going, could we please just have some time together? And you go, yeah. And you know what we do? We go, sure, Lord, no worries. And God goes, when? Soon? God's like, no, 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 no. S- Saturday. From sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday, you're mine. See, God knows he had to book that time, because if he didn't, let's be honest. How many of us have ever actually woken up one day and gone, you know, I really, I haven't spent any really decent time with the Lord for quite a while now. Like, it just slipped right past you. Can you understand why God created the Sabbath? People spend so much time laying down rules about it, and you know what the most amazing thing is? We're so busy trying to obey that, we missed the whole reason, which was date night with the Lord. Do you think God's really happy because you didn't push a button? Well, you don't understand. I didn't drive more than five miles. God's like, but you didn't spend any of it with me. I'd rather you drove a hundred miles, but I sat next to you in the car. Please understand. Nothing is more important to the Lord than your relationship with him. And you're like, you say that all the time. It's because I mean it. All the time, and everything in Scripture tells me that. The Sabbath tells me that what He really wants is to be with me. The cross tells me what He wants to be is to be with me. The sunset and the sunrise, and I love to sleep with my window open. Pray for my wife. I love to sleep for the, with the window open because the songbirds sing outside our window all the time. Probably one of the reasons she may not be as happy about it. But I like sit and listen to the symphony, and I'm like August Rush going, yes. Thank you, Lord. I wake up, in the for whatever reason, in the last two weeks, I've spent a lot of time awake in the middle of the night. The Lord kind of wakes up and I'm just going, all right. And, and you know my first thought was? Oh, are you serious? Right? Second thought then is, I played the Samuel role, which is, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Because I figured if the Lord will say something, I could go back to sleep. Isn't that sad? Isn't that, and this is your pastor talking. And then finally, you get to that point where like, do you just want to hang out? And all of a sudden, I actually started looking forward to it. And then I started sleeping through the night. So there you go, anyways. So, Verse 13. And all that I have said to you, be circumspect. Now, look at what the verse says, by the way. Look at it. Look at verse 13. Please look at it. Don't just nod. But look, you've got a Bible in front of you. And all that I have said to you, be circumspect. In other words, carefully consider it and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. But if God started this with no false circulation, can you see why God wouldn't want us mentioning them either? Because that would be false circulation. So God, if you don't want me to take this time off every seventh year, the land rests. By the way, from the time that the Israel gets a king, Israel will stop doing the at Shabbat for, listen, for 490 years. 490 years, the land never rests. So do the math. What's one-seventh of 490? 70 years. Israel then is captive for 70 years. Here's the good news. God didn't collect interest. Aren't you thankful? God didn't say, hey, let me tell you what. Should have rested for 70 years? I've waited almost a half a millennium. Let's call it 160 and we'll call it even doesn't do that he goes this is what you owe we're going to give it the rest so look at can i tell you what kind of god we serve look at the next verses can i just say as a man these are verses that make me want to go yes verse 14 three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year yes god did not say three times a year i want you to fast for a week and i think man I love you. Three times a year, come on over. He's like, this is what God says in the simplest sense. For three times a year, come over to my house for a week. We're going to have a barbecue slumber party. (laughs) That's God speaking. And you go, that sounds irreverent. Does it really? This is what God wants. What he wants is to spend time with us. And can I just say, God didn't just block out a day of, every, of the week for your, in, in your diary. He started blocking off weeks in your year. And he goes, if you're a man, if you're a real man, you're coming. And you go, well, ladies, what about me? You should be going too. Here's the crazy thing. If you think that if you're offended, ladies, maybe it is that God had to demand it from a man, but all he had to do was invite you. The craziest part is, God still called it a barbecue and he still had to demand it. I don't get it. Three times a year, three times a year. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, verse 15. You shall eat unleavened bread. And I'll develop these when we get to them because they'll be more specified later. Did I command you to appoint the month of Abib, that You came out of Egypt, don't appear to me empty. By the way, God always demands a sacrifice. He doesn't say you need to be perfect. He says your sacrifice does. Second one, verse 16, is the Feast of Harvest. Can listen. I'm going to say, first one's the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover. Could you say Passover? Passover. What's the first feast? Gosh, this should be a lot easier. What's the first feast? Thank you. The second one's in verse 16. The Feast of what? What does it say? The Feast of what? Come on, I know you got more in you. The Feast of what? Right. What's the first one? What's the second? Beautiful. Look at the third. It's also in verse 16. It says the first fruit of your harvest, the labors which you've sown in the field, and the feast of what? In In gathering. Don't miss this. God says that these are going to be eternal statements. Three of them. What's the first one? The Passover, where the Lamb of God was slaughtered, where the firstborn died so we could be removed from slavery. Are you with me on this? That's the first of them. The second one was the feast of what? What was it? The feast of what? Where God says the first great harvest. That's what we're going to have is a celebration. Are you with me on that? Then the third one was the feast of what? And gathering. He says, you're done with your work now. Because now we're going to celebrate. Listen, now we're going to celebrate the work you did in the field. Are you with me? Listen. God is setting us up for the three most important events in history. Three most important events. The first one, when the Lamb of God was slaughtered. When the Son of Man was murdered, it was at a feast. What feast was it? It was the feast of Passover. Because at the Passover, we say that this lamb was slaughtered so I could go free. The firstborn died so I could be delivered out of bondage. Are you with me? And God says the most, first of three most important events that will ever take place was the event where the Son of Man died, where the Lamb of God was murdered so I could be set free delivered out of the bondage. Are you with me? The second one, well, what took place on that day? Well, we have another name for that feast, the Feast of the Harvest, because it's 50 days after this feast. And that word is Pentecost, like Pentecost. Interesting, because God specifies one specific Pentecost more than any other. And I can develop a lot of these, but for the simplicity of this, and that particular Pentecost was in Acts chapter what? What chapter did Pentecost happen in Acts? That tells me most of you aren't from a Pentecostal church. Right. That's Acts chapter 2. And interesting, if you ask people, what's the greatest thing that ever took place in Acts chapter 2? Some will say, people spoke in tongues. And I'm like, that's the best you had. Acts chapter 2, it was the feast of the what? What was it? The feast of what? Okay, come on. There's more of you than that. Wake up. Come on. Here we go. Don't let me grab the defibrillators. Here we go. It was the feast of what? Yes. Now listen. On that day, three thousand people were delivered out of the hand of bondage and out of the land of slavery, and they were did that because God brought the first harvest. Do you get it? So God says, "Look at of our three events, and I want you there for these." So for fourteen hundred years before Jesus comes, will be the first. And then shortly thereafter will be the second. And that is when the Lamb of God is slaughtered and then the first harvest. And then opens up the season of evangelism, which we are still in. We are still in the harvest. So don't tell me it's over. Because I'll tell you when it's over. You know when the harvest is over? At the feast of? In gathering. -gathering. Thank you. And in gathering. And in gathering is when we're all snatched in and you're done with your labor. Can I say there will be a day, and that could even be today, we don't know, where the last person who would say yes to Jesus without something as important as a rapture to happen will say yes. And then God will say, well, your work is done. and He's going to gather us all together and say, now it's time to celebrate. Do you know, by the way, of those three feasts to this day, which of those feasts is also called the feast for weddings? Which one would make the most sense to you? Why? Yeah, the gathering, because, by the way, the work is done. You know, you're done with the work. That's a really good time to celebrate. Now, some people would rather celebrate during the harvest, but then you're, like, not showing up for work. You get it? But when that's done, and they call it the Feast of the Wedding. Listen, when the gathering happens, so does the wedding. Do you get it? God has pointed me to Jesus with three simple feasts. You now look at, let's get to the last part of this. And again, I'd love to develop so much more, but, and I'd keep you here all day, but it's Mother's Day. So look at, with all of that, I want your males, they're gonna show up at me, don't not show up, and I want your sacrifice. Now listen, this is the grace of God. God isn't looking and go, look at, Rodriguez, I want you perfect when you show up. He says, I want you to bring a sacrifice, and I'm gonna look at your sacrifice. Can I say God set up a standard here? Because in the end of it all, when you stand before the Lord, one day you're going to cash in that body. I mean, you have it now. And for some of you, it's holding up quite well. But can I just say, it won't forever because it wasn't created for that. And one day you're going to stand before God, and God is not going to look at you and say, So, Annie, how perfect did you work it out? All God's going to do, like He set up here, is he's going to look at your sacrifice. And can I ask you, what's your sacrifice? Your good works? God's go. well, let's just see if your works were perfect. And you're like, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't say perfect. And God says, yes, I did. You showed up at that church service. And you're like, well, here's the cool part. You may not be able to pick your perfection. Well, you can in a sense. But, but listen, you can choose your sacrifice. Well, I belong to a church. Was that church perfect? Well, my family were Christians. Well, great. Were they perfect? I choose Jesus who was so perfect in his sacrifice that even death couldn't hold him. He's like, is that all you got? And When God looks, he's not going to look and go, Rodrigue, close to perfect? You almost made it. He's going to look and he's going to say, that's my son. That's perfect. Have you chosen the right sacrifice? Are you still playing games? Okay, let's close up. So, with that in mind, here we are. We move then from, look at, from trust and being just to that of resting. Don't listen. So he says, I'm going to go before he talks about sending his angel, then after that, he says, he will keep you, he'll bring you, beware of him, you better obey. That's what I'm looking for. Remember how God called us to do that. Don't provoke him. He's going to go before you. And then he says this as we close it up. Verse 24, don't bow down to their gods. Don't serve them, don't do their works when you get into the land. Overthrow them. Break down their pillars. And if that's the case and you serve him, I'll keep you healthy. I'll keep you full of life. And I'm going to put a fear of you when you start walking out. Before you even get there, people will be shaken. And I will send, and this is the funny thing, look at it with me, verse 28. I will send hornets before you. And some people go, well, that's probably, oh, I don't know, didn't the Egyptians wear hornets on their headbands? Do you know what I think it is? This is going to sound really astute. I think it was hornets. I right, that was brilliant. The Hebrew word here defined is the word hornet. I think it means hornet. So to give you an idea what we're looking at, could you flash that this is a hornet. This is a Middle Eastern hornet by the way. It grows to the length of about 2 inches. So do you know how long 2 inches is? 2 inches is about that. And the nasty thing about hornets are they don't I mean any of you like, like me on this? When a bee stings you, it hurts and you're a little bummed by it, but there's a little comfort in knowing that thing's going to die now. Stung me? You die. When a hornet stings you, it just keeps going. When I think, that is just awful. Especially when they're like and they sound like a guy with a motorcycle. You know, that... Bleh, 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 and that's like two of them. Now, I don't care how big of a man you are. You're like, I bench press with Chuck Norris. (laughs) In the end of it all, when a whole swarm of hornets comes at you, you whining like a little girl is what you're doing. And you are fleeing and you are running. And look at God, look at, this is God in his brilliance. You know the most amazing thing about hornets? is they, For the most part, they don't kill you. They just make your life miserable. They look like, oh great, so yes, do you think That's it's a helicopter? I think it's a hornet. Oh, okay. yes. Yes, they kind of do. You kind of wonder. And I think a lot of what we gather is we kind of try to figure it out from guys like this. Now, now, please hear me. God has at his disposal, and here's the point, God has at his disposal anything and everything that he could possibly want to go before you. That's the bottom line. Even things that could, could, could drive you mental are things he could still use to, to clear the way for you. But listen to these verses, and this is the point I want to make, because at the end of it all, God just says, look, don't make a covenant with them, don't bound on as their gods, because it's a trap. But look at verses 29 and 30. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased... You inherit the land. Please hear me. This is a promise from God. And here's what it looks like. Kenan, God has a promise for your life. And in that promise for your life, he's got land for you. He's got a place just for you. Kenan's like, now can I ask you, Kenan, how long have you been a Christian? Five About five years. Sweet. Five years. five years it's 250 sundays actually about 270 and he looks and he goes but i'm still dealing with sin no i'm not trying to air his laundry he's just a human being he goes i don't get it five years shouldn't i be perfect by now how do i still struggle with that how do i still deal with this i and then the enemy says kenan kenan you said you'd never do that again How could you call yourself saved? How long have you been a Christian, Helena? Gave your life to the Lord while you were still in nappies, weren't you? (laughs) Be careful, your parents are here. (laughs) Um, Fifteen years. Paul would write, by the way, to the Romans, Why do I do what I don't want to do? Paul was in, he was on his mission trips when he wrote that. More than likely, in about 57 AD, 23 years after he got saved, 23 years, he's writing books of the Bible, and he writes, why am I still dealing with this? And you go, how miserable of a Christian am I? How rotten of a believer? And we come into the church and we feel like, like we're a poser because everyone's skimming freedom and we're like, well, freedom, but me. How could I be? I bet, I bet, I bet Hugo probably has no problems. I'm sure. I mean, look at Lorraine; she's always smiling. Come on. And, and you know what happens is you're so convinced that everybody else isn't struggling. But can I just say, first of all, dead people don't struggle, right? If you're struggling, there's probably a reason. But can I just say, this was the promise of the Lord. He didn't say this. Daniel, you'll give your life to me. How long ago was that? 13, 14 years ago. And for the first five years, it's going to be rock solid. And then it's about what you got. You're going to have to live with it for the rest of your life. But isn't that weird? But we kind of, does anyone, without a show of hands, does anyone ever feel like that? Like maybe the first couple years I really felt like God was pulling stuff out of me and changing me. And then somewhere down the line I got tired of fighting and I kind of figured, this is just basically who I'm going to be from this point on. What a lie! What an absolute lie! This is what God says. I can't give you all the land right now. I can, but you know what would happen? Number one, you wouldn't appreciate it. If I delivered you from everything, the moment you said, I gave my life to Jesus, you know what would happen? Someone would say, well, I gave my life to Jesus 13 years ago. Well, what's he doing in your life today? And you're like, I don't know. Still keeping me nice. But I can tell you what the Lord's doing in my life today. Because today he's changing me from things. And what I've learned is, praise God, can you imagine if the Lord said, let me show you all of your faults. Whoop. Now, which one do you want me to, I mean, I'd be so overwhelmed, I'd be throwing up, I'd be falling, oh God, just kill me, right? Just kill me. But I've seen the Lord's kind and what he does is he's like, look at, how about this thing? Can we agree this is awful so that you don't fight me when I take it out of your life? Because I'd really like us to agree when I perform this surgery. The last thing I want to do is cut you open and start grabbing it and have you punching me in the face while I'm surgically removing it from you. And understand, the Lord is kind and he's like, look at it, I'm not going to give it to you because if that's the case, beasts will grow there. But I'll tell you what the secret is. Growth. That's the secret he says. But as you increase, as you grow, I'm going to give you more land. And here's the cool thing. Growing is something you really can't even do except old. The part we can but the part that he's got to do it, and it, what, there are things we can do to contribute. We're in his word because it grows us. We're in fellowship because it grows us. We're in prayer because it grows us. Sad to say, we're in trials often because it grows us. But in all of that, he's growing you. And understand, the Lord knows what land he's got for you this year that you've probably thought, I'll never get. I'm just done. I'm going to always be angry, lustful, rumorous, selfish, self-obsessed, insecure, confused, lonely, empty, addict. Because no, you're not. Stop listening to the enemy. You made it sound like I saved you once and we're done. Scripture says we have been saved from the power of sin. We are being—I'm sorry—we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin, and one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. We won't even be able to remember it. Praise God! Look at—if you're a believer here today, and we're almost done. If you're a believer here today, and maybe you've given up hope, doesn't that sound to be? Listen, that to me is even crazier then it would be for us to realize that we're still dealing with problems and what we want to be is free. Because the hope is that God's not done. If you were done, you know how I know when, you, when he's done, it's your last breath. You're going home. It's it. He's like, look, I'm not going to give it to you all at once, but I will give it to you. There's the promise. I'm giving it to you still. I'm going to give it to you because I love you. And if I really love you, I want to give it to you in a way that you can appreciate it and it can be a testimony today. Any of you need to hear that today? Because that's clearly a word that the Lord has set on this specific day, on Mother's Day. And it ends with this, verses 31-33. And I will set bounds from the Red Sea to the Sea Philistia and from the desert to the river and I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out from before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. We'll put up that map for a second, Lauren, as we're about to close this. This is the land that God has promised us. Well, promised Israel. I'm not going to start claiming it. It isn't like as a Christian, I'm one of those crazy people that thinks God gave up on Israel. Because if that's the case, how do I know God isn't going to give up on me? You know what I'm saying? There are people that actually teach that we're the replacement for Israel. And the problem with that is, is you say, well, you know, they have just offended God so much and He's given them. Like, really? Have you not done as much as them? All right. Here's the land of Israel today. That's this little area here. This is the land God promised. You kind of get the idea. The easiest answer is, it's bigger. It's roughly about 120th of God's promised area, and then some. Israel, at its largest, during the Davidic and Solomonic reign, was one-tenth, of the, was one-tenth of the total promised land. Israel has never seen all of that land as theirs. But God promised it. And I ask you, is God going to give him that land someday? If God said he was, is he going to? Yes. Are you convinced of that? Yes. No, honestly, are you genuinely convinced of that? then how are you struggling with the fact that God hasn't given you all your land yet? If you're convinced that God's going to do this here, how could you not be convinced that God won't do it with you? Are you any different? Does he love you less? Jesus died for you. Can I remind you? And he says, look, when you go into the new land, remember, when you go into the new land, there's going to be a whole new set of gods, a whole new set of problems, a whole new set of cultural things that are going to be okay. They're traps. That's what a snare is. It's a trap. Don't bow down to it. It's a trap. Oh, come on. Society says, God says, it's a trap. But the crowd says, it's a trap. Well, you know, here, we have a few beers here and there, and we, well, look, at it. it's a trap. I want to warn you. Well, here, we kind of live together because that's what's cool. It's a trap. Well, here, we're really kind of free about our love. It's a trap. Don't tell me that kids can't keep their virginity until they're 18. That's a trap. In the end of it all, God says, don't bow down to those things. Let me set the culture. You decide for yourself. But it's a trap. God says, I'd rather you be free. I'd rather you be free. What's amazing is we really like God's freedom, but we really want freedom to go and get into other traps. Do you see what I'm saying? God's like, I'm not delivering you from one trap to another trap. I'm delivering you from one bondage into me. That's what the difference is. And in the Spirit of Christ, there's total freedom. Jesus says, if you listen to my words and you obey them, you'll be my disciple. And if you're my disciple, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. As we go to prayer now, and while we are, maybe I'll try to get Landon to sneak over and Do you have any extra strings, Landon, that you can put one on? I have some, if not, but or whatever you want to do, however you want to pull that off. Um, look it, I want to praise God. After the promises like I've heard here, I want to praise God. How about you? And we even have the time for it. But I want to offer some prayer here. And look, we're going to start by praying for believers. And then those believers, maybe you're in that place where you feel like, man, this is as good as it's going to get. And man, uh, please, I'm praying that God's going to, put, to inject hope into you in such a way that you become a spiritual spaz. You just can't stop loving him. But if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that opportunity today. And you go, what does that mean? Look, at if Jesus died for you on the cross to pay for your sins and rose again, he's simply asking now your permission to set you free and to give you his innocence. Have you made that choice to accept that gift? He's down with his knee, the rings in his hand, and he says, will you be mine you can't say, well, I've decided I'm engaged without saying yes. There's a demand for a response. Will you pray with me? Lord, I know that there was so much more that could be shared, and yet in this, Lord, I thank you for what you did. And Lord, for the, for the responsibility of being just in our view of others, our responsibility to rest so we could be with you our privilege of being able to feast so that we can celebrate you. And our understanding that now in the world we're in, we're a guest to the people around us. This isn't our land, and so we're not supposed to succumb. Well, in this sense. It isn't our culture to succumb to. We are citizens of heaven. And I pray right now that we could genuinely adhere to that. We would genuinely grab a hold of you like we should. So, Lord, please, today, I pray for every believer here first. Lord, that you remove from us that frustration, that hopelessness, that was never intended to be part of a believer's lifestyle. And I know that there may be some people in here, they've been struggling with the same sin or sins for quite a while. And yet, Lord, that is land you still promised to give them, In your timing and in your way, you promised to give it. Lord, please, today, reinstill hope, Lord, that we're not going to die in this slavery. You've come to deliver us. And if you've come to deliver us, Lord, it isn't just remove from us or remove us, but to remove us and place us somewhere else or we're not delivered. And so, Lord, I pray today that there could be genuine deliverance. Not a smack on the head or a wave of a coat, Lord, but where we could be removed from something and placed in your arms where we belong. And if we've said yes to you, we've been delivered spiritually. And now, Lord, you start that beautiful process of reprogramming us and making us people, Lord, that start to look like you. But you've not set us free to go to a new snare. And we recognize that the world you are now deploying us to is a world with its own set of snares. But you've sent your angel before us, Lord. You've sent hornets before us. Lord, whatever it is that you send before us to clear the way, you know how to clear the way so that when we go, Lord, it's already prepared before we get there. So Lord, I pray today you would reinstill hope. And in that hope, Lord, you'd reinstill life. And with that life, you'd reinstill an excitement, God, for your return, for when that day comes when we do gather in at the end of the the work in the field. But until then, Lord, deploy us to the field, not to look like another plant, but to harvest like You called us to, as You've given us the harvest, Lord. We trust You in that, and we thank You for it. And so, Lord, right now, You know within this room who has said yes to You, who is struggling, who isn't sure. But if there be anyone right now in this room who has not said yes to you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show them the necessity of it. Alright, beloved, if you right now have not said yes to Jesus Christ, and you know today should be your day, you know today that the Lord Jesus calls you to be with Him, He challenges you to Him, His arms are open. He's paid the price, and He's simply looking for your permission. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I ask you to listen. And if you agree with this prayer, then I ask you to say, at the end of it all, a confident and resounding Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. And here it is. God, I may not understand everything, but if you really love me so much, that You would pay for all my guilt by sending Your only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that all my guilt could be punished and that He would literally die as You said and then raise again as You promised so that I could have a new life, set free, delivered out of the darkness I'm in and into You, Jesus. And if that be the case, then I say yes. If what you're asking is my permission, I say yes. If what you want to do is declare me innocent, make me whole, rescue me, then I say yes. Have me, please. I surrender to you now. I belong to you. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior and my ransom. I surrender my life to you now. I'm yours in Jesus' name. And if you agree... I ask you to say, Amen.